0: Well, if ever there's a time to do a psalm on the glory of God in creation, it's certainly the appropriate season, that of autumn, though the leaves are are making their their ways off the trees. Nonetheless, it's this time of year that I think we all appreciate so much living in the Northeast, Um, the change of seasons and the glory of autumn. I was reminded this week in an article that Christina and I were reading of Anne of Green Gables, i reading. Uh, I was reading uh, Anne of Green Gables to Abby maybe a year ago, and you know, as Anne Shirley makes her way to Prince Edward Island, and she's picked up by the Cuthberts, by actually by Matthew Cuthbert, um, they they kind of mistake. They think they're getting a boy, and you know, they're they're going to be adopting this boy, and uh, instead, they show up, and there's this you know, squirrely-haired girl uh, waiting for them. And uh, they take her in, and they're going to bring her back to the house. And Matthew Cuthbert is, is riding back with Anne. And, and Matthew is, is a quiet soul. He's a, uh, you know, just a, a plotter, does his work faithfully. Um, and, and Anne is just excited about everything. And as she's going along in the carriage, and Matthew's a little shocked that he's picking up this girl, uh, and what is he going to say to his wife Marilla when they get back and have to explain this? But but Anne is just overwhelmed by everything. She notices everything, she sees everything, she names everything. She comes up with names for the lakes and for the rivers and for the paths down the road. This is the wonderful White Way, she says. This is the I'm going to name that lake the Lake of Shining Waters, uh, just for the way that the light glistens off the thing. And I was reminded of this in a <clears throat> in an article. And I, again, I said Christine and I were reading in the joy of Anne Shirley in the story and her recognition of the little things. And she keeps mentioning these, these things to Matthew Cuthbert, to the, the, the man that's going to plan to adopt her. And they decide they better not because she's not a boy. And then they decide they can't let her go. But, but Matthew doesn't notice these things. When she asks him, have you ever done this? You know, Have you ever had this idea? And he kind of thinks to himself, not really. You know, I've got a job to do. I I, I have I have work to do. And I haven't ever had time for these, these fanciful thoughts that Anne, fill Anne's head. And Anne is so fascinated by everything in creation. She just has eyes of wonder that see around her beauty in every way. An adult version of this would be the great writer G.K. Chesterton. If you've ever read any of G.K. Chesterton, he... He is the adult version of Anne Shirley, who writes in such a manner in which he calls the attention of his reader to the beauty of creation that is around us. And that, again, just kind of goes unnoticed. We become so used to the amazing glories of the created order. And granted, when fall comes, we see it because there's a change. But were we as amazed over the green leaves as we were over the yellow leaves? Like Chesterton asked that question. Like if you woke up this morning and went out and the grass was blue or the grass was pink, you'd be shocked. You'd be amazed. You would notice it. It would catch your eye. But you went out and it was green. Did that catch your eye? You know, or have you just become used to green grass? The sky is blue for crying out loud. Do we celebrate? Of course we do. We have our moments. We have our moments. But G.K. Chesterton calls us to look again and to see with eyes of wonder and delight the glory of the created order. And our psalmist today in Psalm 104 does the same. He enters into praise now by delighting in and just gazing upon, noting, in fact, different facets and elements of the created order and taking it and returning it back in praise to God. Now, I guess I should say kind of at the outset that really for us, there's probably two dangers. I'm trying to think quickly in my head whether they're equal and opposite dangers. I don't know, but they are two dangers to be sure that we have as Christians and must guard ourselves against when it comes to the beauty of the created order. One that we just said is becoming blind to it. I mean, every square inch of the created order holds within itself, we literally could call it a microcosm, you know, a microcosmos. I mean, we could take any square inch of the created order and if we just contemplated it, if we just delighted in it, if we just silenced ourselves and looked at it and observed it, there is literally, in any square inch of the created order, an entire cosmos. A microcosm, as they say. We're trying to teach our students at Chapel Field to do this. We, we do what's called nature journaling. And the, the, the students go out with a teacher and they have something that they're looking at. Maybe it's tree bark. Maybe it's a leaf. Maybe it's little, you know, roly-polies, you know, and, and caterpillars. Or maybe it's grass. Or I don't know what it is. And the students have to just look at it. And then think about it. Ask questions about it. Notice things about it. And then draw it. Because we have to... It's amazing in trying to instill this, I find it difficult to do, to actually just look at something for an extended period of time. Mark would probably be able to tell us all about this. If I said, Mark, just come up and give us a lecture about observation, he'd be able to do it because he's an artist. And Mark teaches drawing. And the reason he teaches drawing and would say enter into drawing first is because when you draw, you have to observe, you have to see things as they are. You have to just look at them and see what's in front of you so that you can draw it or so that you can paint it. If you've ever seen any of Mark's paintings, they're beautiful. He does it well. He sees the shading and the, the light and the textures. But this does not come naturally to us. We glance over things. We look at nature the same way. Oftentimes we, we turn the radio on in a car. No one turns the radio on in a car anymore. But, you know, whatever we do, however we listen to music, you know, going from station to station or, or the old TV, click, 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 that's an, now, interesting, click, next channel. And we do this with the created order as well. So one danger we really have when we come to the created order is to kind of get bored with it or be distracted by it. Never really look and see it. That's a danger. The other danger that we have is the danger of idolatry. And we're told in Romans 1, I almost chose that as our word of exhortation this morning, because in Romans 1, we're told that what man typically does with the created order is completely get God out of the picture. So one thing we could do is just ignore it altogether and be distracted. But but a similar danger is seeing it indeed and then worshiping it. Of, of, of seeing it but not receiving it as gift. Just seeing it as an end in and of itself and not giving God the glory. And this is exactly what Paul says man does. He he worships the creature rather than the creator. We're, we're so amazed and dazzled by the created order. And then that wonder and that dazzlement, whatever the, the verb is there, it just ends there. It, it just stops at the, the blade of grass. It stops at the sun, moon, and stars. It, it it stops at the changing leaves. And it it doesn't go where the psalmist does in Psalm 104. And in this wonderful and beautiful psalm, the psalmist doesn't do either of these. He he sees. He sees how the rocks are a home for the rock badger. He puts that in a psalm of praise that the stork has her home in the fir trees. He doesn't even just say the trees. He knows what kind of tree the stork has her home in. It's in the fir trees, actually. Because he's seen, he's noticed. I try to encourage my own kids this way. What kind of tree is that? I say, to them, don't you say it's a tree, but what kind of tree? Well, it's an oak tree. Okay, great. If they get that far, what kind of oak tree? (laughs) What kind of oak tree? Oh, there's a bird circling. What kind of, what bird is that? It's a turkey buzzard. Okay, good. Do you know it? Do you, have you see, or are we, are we just so distracted? The psalmist sees, he notices, and he doesn't doesn't idolize the created order, but rather he gives praise to God. So we want to think about that this morning. We want to be good Chestertonians. We want to be good Anne Shirleyites and see and delight and glorify, but taking it in worship to our God. The psalmist begins this psalm the same way that we saw last psalm. It's in, in that sense, it's a sister psalm. Again, the psalm begins with preaching to his own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But then very quickly, now he leaves the preaching to his soul. And this one, now he directs to God. But he begins with that call to himself, again, to see and to worship. And then right to doing the very thing he calls his soul to do. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And now he gets to it. Okay, I will. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. And then he launches into how the greatness of God is manifested in the created order. And in the very beginning of this, perhaps he starts with the witness of creation to the sovereignty of God's glory. Just in the way you created, Lord, and we have this in in uh, in. Uh, Colossians 1, as Mark read our New Testament reading today, when Paul is trying to draw our eyes to the supremacy of Jesus Christ, he goes first to the fact that all things were created by him and through him and to him. He goes first to the created order. And that's what we have here. The created order is declaring and singing the sovereignty of God. Oh, Lord God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as a garment. Stretch out the heavens like a curtain. That is, these things are like the robes of your glory. You lay the beams of your upper chambers in the waters and you make the clouds. uh, He makes the clouds his chariot. Who walks on the wings of the wind. Who makes the angels spirits, that is the winds, the same word for spirit there is wind. You make the winds your messengers and your ministers flames of fire. You make flames of fire do your bidding and the winds do your bidding, right? The whole created order serves you and it does what you call it to do. You have made it and it does your bidding. It all falls into service to you. You laid the foundations of the earth so that they should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep as a garment And here we have this image of the waters. Go back to Genesis chapter one with the, the waters covering the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and waters covered the earth and darkness was on the face of the deep. And so we have this image of the waters, but then out of the waters, God speaks and dry land appears breaking forth out of the waters. That is, God thunders, he speaks, and all of a sudden, the dry land appears. And the same thing, the reference can also be to that of Noah. When the waters again, as an act of judgment this time, cover over the face of the, of the earth, and then from it, God speaks, and the mountains spring forth. You covered it with a deep as a garment, and the water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled That is, you spoke and the waters did what they were commanded to do. They obeyed. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may return, excuse me, that they may not return to cover the earth. So here again, I think we have an image of his sovereignty, not only in the created order, but then in even over the waters of judgment. The waters of Noah, you speak, Lord, and they move. So we have a beautiful image of his sovereignty. All nature declares this. When you look, of course, we don't need just the beginning of creation. We know that Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory. We go out, we see last night. Last night was a night that, for me, at least where I was, couldn't see a multitude of stars. But it was one of those nights where the uh, the constellations just popped you couldn't see a ton of stars, at least where I was, but the constellations were just like super bright. It was one of those where you just look up and there are all the constellations. The, the heavens, the, you just look at these things and you marvel in the glory of God's created order. The other morning I woke up and the sun was coming up in the east and and the clouds were pretty thick, but where the sun was coming up, there were no clouds. And so you had one of these moments that I just love so much when you have a dark sky but the sun shining because where the sun is, you don't have the clouds yet. And the mountain where I live, you're looking out to the, to the Shangham Ridge and, and the, the mountain was just lit up in amazing brilliance. The, the yellow brightness of the sun, that early morning sun that was hitting it with the dark clouds hanging over it. I don't know, just the contrast of the light and the dark. It just, you see these things and you are overwhelmed with the glory of God and his created order. And the psalmist is overwhelmed by it. The sovereignty of his God, the heavens declaring the glory of God. But then it's not only his sovereignty and just his power and his might, the invisible things we see in, in Romans 1. He says, for the, for the, the wrath of God's revealed and in, in, the, in all of nature, we see his invisible attributes. Yes, we do. But not only that, in verse 10, we also see his love. It's not just his power, but it's his love. Notice in verse 10, he sends springs into the valleys and they flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. It's not just that he does these amazing, powerful, amazing displays. But in love, he provides for his creatures and for his created order. These springs that he creates give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them, the birds of the heaven have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers, and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. This is is something to delight in, that our God is not just a God of raw power, but he's a God of tender love and grace. He provides for the wild donkey. He provides for the birds of the sky. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth. And not only that, look at this. And then he this takes it to a whole nother level. All that he does in the earth. Verse 15. And wine that makes glad the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread which strengthens a man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. It's not just, again, that the Lord provides some stuff. Or it's not that he provides the bare minimum. No, he doesn't just provide you know, protein cubes for you to have and carbohydrate cubes and they're just laying out there and you can, and it's amazing, God provides for your life and you can go grab a protein cube and and you can get a, you can get a carbohydrate cube. You need some of these in order to live and praise God he provides them. No, he provides grapes. <laughs> he provides grapes so that you can eat them but so that you can take them and they can ferment and you can have Wine. He doesn't just make carbohydrate cubes. He makes wheat that you can grow and dry and crush and make flour and make bread. Yeah, it's, it's carbohydrate cubes, but it's the best carbohydrate cubes. God provides tasty things and delicious things. This is, this is the kind of God here. Have you ever thought about that? Again, I was challenging my students the other day. Like, Have you ever just reflected on the fact that God created the world with color. Again, we just take this for granted. Like, when's the last time you got up and said, God, I'm so thankful that you didn't create a black and white world? We could have. And it would have been magnificent. It would have been glorious. But he didn't. He gave us colors, a spectrum of colors. And he created flavors. Why? Just for our satisfaction, because he's good. He's good. Because he doesn't just create the world so that it sustains you, but so that there's something to delight in. Wine that makes the heart glad and oil to make his face shine and bread which strengthens man's heart. He made made sounds and he made textures and he made scents and he made colors and he made flavors. He's a God who sustains his creatures. And and that brings us to our word of exhortation this morning in in, uh, Matthew 6. Don't be anxious. Like if if you have the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 104, you won't be anxious because you know the kind of God he is. The kind of God who gives you all of this bounty. The, 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 The God that you serve is a God whose trees are full of sap. Who creates springs to make sure the wild donkey can drink. And he creates fir trees so the stork has somewhere to have a nest. He gives the lily such beauty and he gives the bird a nest. I mean, aren't you worth more than that? Do you not think the Lord will provide for you? Indeed, he has provided so much. It's the kind of God that he is. So he's a God, he's a sovereign God, but he's also this God of beautiful and wonderful providence that provides for his people and then down in verse 19 we see the order of god and the wisdom of god that the nature when the psalmist looks at the created world he sees the power of god he also sees the providence of god he also sees the wisdom and the order of god in verse 19 he appointed the moon for its season the sun knows it's going down you make darkness and it's night and then night things happen Right? All the beasts of the forest creep about. Young lions roar. They seek their prey. They seek their food from God. It's an interesting way of speaking about what the lion does. Then the sun rises and they all get together and they go to sleep and then the, the daytime things come out. You and I, we come out and the lion goes away and then we come out and we do our thing. And we work and labor until evening. And then the psalmist just delights in it in verse 24 after saying that, oh Lord, how manifold are your works. What a, what a delight in not only the, the, the amazing power and glory of your creation, not only in the way you provide, but Father, for the amazing diversity of your created order. Again, God didn't just create Tree. He created birch trees and fir trees and maple trees. And not just maple tree, but different types of maple trees. He didn't just create animal or fish or bird. But God, in in his manifold wisdom and in this overflow of his creative beauty itself, creates the majesty of this world in which we live in, the, the psalmist is delighting in it. God, you are a God of order. You have everything in its place. Right? You have everything in its place, even to the way you formed the, the rivers and the waters. The waters were over the mountains, but you rebuked them and they went into their place and you set boundaries that they would not cross. And you created the sun to govern day and you created the moon to govern night and you set things in their proper place, and they act according to the way. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your, is your creation. When I read this, it reminded me of a poem. This poem is called Pied Beauty. I don't know if you know the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, but I commend him to you if you are not familiar with Gerard Manley Hopkins. Uh, all his poems, at the minute you hear them, they sound beautiful, and you think, I don't know what you're saying. And like all poetry, you have to just stew in it, and wonderful and beautiful things come many times. Some poetry is not that great, but Gerard Manley Hopkins' poetry is great. And this poem is called Pied Beauty, P-I-E-D, which I didn't know initially reading it that pied meant spotted. So that's a little insight there. Not pied like apple pie, blueberry pie, that kind of pie, but spotted beauty and gerard manley hopkins delights in this short poem in just the diversity and the variegated nature of the created order right again it's not i mean and no 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 time demonstrates this better than autumn for us where we see you walk outside and it's it's beauty but it's it's just diverse beauty it's dappled beauty and that's the kind of thing he says i'll read the poem here because this made me think of it when He says, um, how manifold are your works. And and Gerard Manley Hopkins writes this poem called Pied Beauty. Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of couple color as brinded cow, for rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim, fresh fire coal chestnut falls, finches wings, landscape plotted and pieced, fold, fallow, and plow, and all trades their gear and tackle and trim. All things counter, original, spare, strange. Whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how, with swift, slow, sweet, sour, a dazzle, dim. He fathers forth, whose beauty is past change. Praise him. That's Pied Things by... Gerard Manley Hopkins, and he celebrates the amazing diversity in creation, the couple colored clouds. It's like just the amazing diversity and the dappled nature of things, the waves of beauty that we see within the created order. And the psalmist is picking that up as well. The majesty and the beauty, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions this great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan, which you made to play there. Even the fact that he says that, the psalmist, that you made to play there. The great sea creatures that just jump out of the sea and splash down in it. The psalmist looks at that and sees God who made a world that plays. It's not just an efficient machine. There's wonder and beauty and whimsy to the world, believe it or not. Ours is a God that creates whimsy and play, wine to make your heart glad. What a beautiful thing. Now, what does the psalm, psalmist do with this? Verse 27, and we move here to where the psalm is taking us, right? These all wait for you. So this magnificent created order, this order of pied beauty, as Hopkins says, the, the, the glorious, wonderful world that Chesterton notices and that Anne Shirley notices, what is it doing? All your creation, all these things wait for you that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather. When you open your hand, they're filled. When you hide your face, they're troubled. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. You send forth your spirit, they're created, and you renew the face of the earth. Here, the psalmist is calling himself, remember, to glorify God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And when I see the beauty of God's creation, his love manifested in it, his providential hand manifested in it, his wisdom manifested in it, I am reminded that He I, everything I have, I have from him. We pray this every time we we give the tithes and offering. Again, God does not need your offering. Okay, when you give offering on Sunday morning, you're not doing it because God's pockets are empty and he could use a few bucks from you. That's not why you give an offering. You give an offering because you need to give it. You need to give it. I need to give it. Because I need to remind myself that all I have is from you. And in returning a portion, I'm acknowledging that. This is yours. You open your hand, I gather in. You close it, I'm in want. You take breath away, I die. Lord, you're sovereign over all these things. And this, again, is why we ought not worry when Jesus calls us in Matthew 6. You, you trust him because this is true of him. He is the God who is sovereign over us. And everything we have, we have from him. We all wait for him. We are no different than the rock badger or the stork. We are equally dependent upon God. Then in verse 31, the psalmist now kind of makes his plea. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. That is, may all the works of His hands please Him. That is, may all the works of God do what they were created to do. The rock badger was created to be a rock badger. This reminds me of another Gerard Manley Hopkins poem called "Kingfishers Catch Fire." There, I'll just leave that poem to you. A little challenging. Got to read that one through. But, but in "Kingfishers Catch Fire," Gerard Manley Hopkins, in that poem is going on about how we are what we are. We are what God made us to be, and in being what God made us to be, he is glorified. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May we be what God made us to be, and may he rejoice in his works. He looks upon the earth, it trembles. He touches the hills, and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. So here now he's committing to do what he's commanded his soul to do up in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And now he's after doing just, you know, going on in this beautiful rhapsody of praise about the glory of his creation. He basically says, I'm going to do it. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. And then he drops this in, in verse 35, may sinners be consumed from the earth. That's, it's like, whoa. (laughs) But can you hear, can you, if if this were Sunday school, I would ask you, say, what do you think is the consistency? Why does that desire, why does that prayer flow out of this Psalm? Do you think? You know, what is it that after going on eloquently and beautifully about the glory of creation and celebrating God in it, why would you come to verse 35? May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. I think we have to say that the psalmist at this point is so delighted in the majesty and the glory of God that sin is this blot, this smear, another Hopkins poem, so, all right, you got me going on Hopkins here. I got myself going on on Hopkins. Um, I'll remember the name of that poem. But he talks about a smear, a blear, a blight upon the earth. This is what sin is. And the psalmist desires it to be gone. This part of your created order that does not glorify you, that does not honor you, but rather raises its fist to you. How, how, uh, how... Awful does that sound. It's like screeching in our ears after a glorious psalm like this to then think of something within the created order that would raise its fist to God and say to him, not your will, but my will be done. How discordant is that with the beauty and the glory of this psalm? And think about how much it is upon the face of the earth. It's not like there's a little blip of it here and a little blip of it there. There is truly a blight upon the earth. And the psalmist longs for the day when it will be gone. And that new creation will descend like a new Jerusalem, glorious in all her majesty from heaven. The psalmist longs for that. Now, again, and I'll close with this. May sinners be consumed from the earth is a dangerous thing for a sinner to say. Right? let us not forget that the psalmist himself is a sinner. And in many ways, then, this psalm points us forward to the work of the cross because it is Jesus Christ who comes to answer that prayer by voluntarily gathering to himself the blight, by gathering to himself the sin, the rebellion of the world, and all the judgment it deserves, the rebukes that it deserves upon himself so that gathering it to himself he might deal with it and have it be no more this is a dangerous thing for a sinner to say but in Christ comes relief to a sinner so that even this prayer a sinner can offer and find hope and comfort and that's how we want sin to be dealt with in Jesus Christ and God forbid that one ignore the Lord Jesus Christ and be taken up in the answer to this prayer because it will happen. The Lord will remove sinners from the face of the earth. The blight will be removed. Judgment will come. Think about all the other Psalms leading up to this that we have read. He will come and judge the world with equity. He's going to set it all right, either in Jesus Christ or in and among the sinners, but it will be set right. And the psalm ends as it begins. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Indeed, brothers and sisters, I encourage you as you go out today and enjoy the crisp, cool air of autumn, the beauty of the changing leaves while we still have them over against the blue sky and the white clouds and all the glories of fall as you do so. Take Psalm 104 in your hearts. Take Gerard Manley Hopkins as well, as he had the, he had the, the, the uh, essence of these psalms deep within him. And let us glorify God. Bless the Lord, O our souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you praise and glory, for you are the God of heaven and earth. Father, we know that even this amazing glory, which overwhelms us when we see it and we have moments where it really does just leave us speechless. Father, even this we know is a pale shadow of the glory that is to be revealed. For this is a garment cloaking your glory. So, Father, prepare us now. Let let our hearts not grow dull to it or calloused. And, Father, guard us also from idolatry that in delighting upon your created order, we might glorify you. May all your works glorify you, and may you delight in them as they do what you have made them to do, and you have made us to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. May you, by your Spirit, make us more and more obedient to that call, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.